Philippians chapter number 3, verse number 1. And I want to read just the first verse tonight with you. Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 1. Let's look at it now. The Bible says this, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. I want you to look at the last phrase there. To write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. I will repeat it one more time. Actually, I want to preach a message tonight. And please let me repeat myself. And I say that, you know, at home, my kids think I repeat myself because I'm losing it. All right. Now, I know that's not true. My kids think that I repeat myself because they think I'm losing it. But I know it's not true. I just want you to know that. You know, Apostle Paul makes this statement here, and uh, it's the kind of statement we as adults would make. Hey, listen, <clears throat> I'm telling you this for your own good, and I'm saying it again. So I want you to listen to me really, really close. It's almost like Apostle Paul's strike as he's writing this letter to the Philippian church. He's trying to say, listen, I haven't lost my mind. I know what I'm doing. In other words, I'm going to repeat some things that I want you to catch. You know, sometimes our children, uh, and again, of course, they know better than mom and dad because they've been around so long. Um, but, you know, sometimes they get this idea that they know what's best, like as if they can think for the parent. And, you know, we do that to God all the time. You know, as if God doesn't always do it. I was reading, uh, I don't remember exactly which, uh, I was reading something about somebody who was commenting on the Bible. And I know it's from a lost standpoint. But I, this lost person, because he had to be lost to make stupid statements like this, but the lost person was basically saying, you know, the Bible's got so much repetition in it, it's almost as if God didn't know what he was doing. Now, that's pretty shaky for a person to even say such a thing, but that's coming from a lost person's standpoint because they don't understand God didn't put extra things in the Bible so he could have filler. Are you all with me tonight? I mean, you think about when he wrote the book of Revelation, or wrote to the seven churches of, of, of Asia Minor in the book of Revelation, and he, he tells them each one of the churches, he repeats several things. One being, uh, he that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And God was not saying that to each church just because he wanted things to be, you know, uh, the same for everybody, or he didn't know exactly what to say when he got done. He had a purpose for saying that. And I believe in an every word Bible and that God has a purpose for every word that he puts in our Bible. And I believe that we have a preserved Bible and that uh, it's fully inspired by God and fully preserved by God. And uh, so when I say that, the things that are re repetitive in the Bible, God's got a purpose for it. It's like when he was, God was talking to Elijah and uh, he told Elijah twice, he said, uh, what doest thou here, Elijah? And God didn't ask that question twice for Elijah because Elijah didn't know where he was. Uh, he, he was talking to Jonah and he said to Jonah, he said, doest thou well to be angry? And he said that statement twice, two different times in chapter number four. It's not, like, it's not like Jonah did not hear what God said the first time. So God has a purpose for everything that he does, and, God, and especially when it comes to our Bible. Of course, everything, but our Bible especially, there's a purpose behind it. When God repeats himself or repeats a verse or even repeats a phrase, we should take notice to that. All right. And so tonight, Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of God, makes this statement here, and he says very clearly, to write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. And I looked through the entire book of Philippians, and I've read it through it a few times, and I found out everything he repeated, all right? And there's uh, 342 things we're going to cover tonight uh, that he repeated. And uh, actually, there's six things that Apostle Paul, in these four chapters, he repeats himself. And I want to, if the Lord lets us, I'll get through all six, otherwise we'll do a few. But I want you to see what God uh, tells us, uh, tells the Apostle Paul for us, that Paul said and made the statement to write the same thing to you, 
uh, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. And there's some things that we as Christians really ought to pay attention to because for us it's safe for us to catch. So let's pray together and we'll look at these together. Father in heaven, thank you again for your word. And Lord, again, help us not to miss uh, things that seem to be repet repetitive, Father, that you want us to catch. And may we not miss them. Help us as Christians tonight. Lord, feed us from your word. Teach us. And again, may you have your way in this service. And Lord, may there not be anybody that would not be attentive spiritually uh, to your voice. And Lord, may we be asking and seeking. And Lord, again, if there's someone lost, help them to be saved. And help us as Christians, Father, to draw nigh to you. And thank you for the promise of Scripture. Lord, as we looked at just a, the last service, great is the, greatly to be praised, Lord, for what you do, that you draw nigh to us. Thank you so much. Now, Father, please help us tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The old phrase is, <laughs> repetition is the key to, all right, key to learning. And so we, what we do is we, uh, sometimes in teaching, we repeat things, all right? And, and we understand that when a person goes through elementary school that there are basic concepts. Like if you're teaching math, there's basic concepts of math that you kind of uh, repeat them. It's not like you say it every, every, uh, every class period, but you'll come back around to that concept, whether it's multiplication, division, uh, subtraction, addition. There's certain things, there's concepts that a person will go through. And that repetition is what helps us learn. God is no different, and he's the master teacher. Uh, God, it, God is not telling us things because he, uh, re, by re, repetition because he forgot that he told us. He's not telling us things by repetition uh, because, you know, he's trying to uh, just make the Bible larger. He has a purpose for what he has to say. So Paul here uh, is writing this letter from prison, and he's writing this letter to the church of Philippi, and he says, now listen, I just want to tell you some things. There's things that I know I'm being repetitive about. I'll be teaching college class, and in college class, I will often say, I know I have said this before, and then I will continue on to say The reason I'm doing that is I don't want them to think I've lost my mind, but the same token, I want them to understand, I'm repeating this because I want you to catch this. I want you to think about what I'm trying to tell you here. God does the same thing. He, he repeats things in scriptures so that we'll catch them and so that we'll use them in our life. I like what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, obviously through God, obviously, but he, Peter wrote this, wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them. Now think about that tonight. You come to church Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and can I tell you something? In all the times you've come to church, you have heard some things before. Alrighty? There are times that the Lord will have me actually repeat. I, don't, I like to use, uh, di differentiate what a sermon is and what a message is. A sermon is an outline that a person preaches. A message is that what God tells somebody to tell somebody else. To me, there's a big difference. Um, I was telling the college guys, I think it was today, if I remember correctly, and I said, uh, I said when it comes to preaching, there, there's a pressure to preaching. All right? There's a pressure to pastoring, but there's also a pressure to pre preaching. The pressure to pastoring is the people. The pressure to preaching is God. Because the difference is, is that you never want to get behind the pulpit and not pass the message along. I can get a, I say I can. A person can get up and preach a sermon. But, the, but you didn't come to church to get a sermon. You came to get a message. In other words, I want what God has for me tonight. So you've come to Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night for years. And can I tell you something? There's things that you've heard before. Can I tell you that repetition is not a bad thing. Repetition is a good thing. And there are some things that we need to be reminded on. There's some things that help us in our spirituality. For instance, in our, in our discipline of our children. There's sometimes, if we're not careful, the older our children get, the less, we can, we, the less we'll discipline our children. You know, when they're 2, 3, 4, and 5, you don't have a problem spanking their rear end, but when they get to be 13, 14, and 15, you don't want to spank your child. So what happens every once in a while, you need preaching from the Word of God to remind you, chasten thy son while there is hope, and let not thy soul spare for his crying. We need to hear those things again and again, all right? Repetition is not a bad thing. Repetition is a very good thing. 
I've had people tell me before at service when they're walking out, oh, Pastor, you preached that before. Now, there's a few of you in the service, you write in your Bible, all right? Now, I probably should be thankful that all of you don't do that, all right? But there's a few of you, you write the message in your Bible, the main point, and you write the date in your Bible. So there's a tough, sometimes a person will come through and say, you know when you preached that last? And I look at him and I say, yes, I know when I preached that last. I have it dated too, okay? <clears throat> but can I tell you something? When you preach the Bible, the Bible's not going to change, okay? So I don't have a problem with preaching a message again because sometimes that message might have been for you. That message might have been for somebody else in a service. So repetition is a good thing, all right? So, so here's what Apostle Paul's doing. I'm going to look at these with you tonight. Uh, but Apostle Paul, in this book, now remember, we call it a book, and we look at four chapters, but this was one letter. And Paul, so Paul is in prison, and he's writing this letter to the Philippians. It's interesting that in this somewhat lengthy letter, though it's only four chapters, this letter, Paul repeats himself. And I'm going to point, that, point out the repetition tonight, and I want you to see what Paul said was not grievous to him, but it was safe for them. All right, let's look at those together tonight. Let's look at the first one. You got your Bible, look at chapter 1, verse number 27. Here's what he says at the, beginning of the, of the um, <clears throat> beginning of his letter. Chapter 1, verse number 27 says this, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. All right? The gospel of Christ. Right? And he goes on to say, I'm sorry, I'm just looking at my notes here. He says, The gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else I be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit with what? One mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Look at chapter 2, verse number 2. Fulfill you my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of what? One mind. Chapter 3 and verse number 16. Chapter 3 and verse number 16, Paul says this, Nevertheless, where two we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Chapter 4, verse number 2. Chapter 4, verse number 2. I beseech Yodius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind, in the Lord. Now, Chitrano, I think this first one's pretty obvious. Paul's writing this letter. Throughout this letter, Paul is reminding them, hey, listen, you need to be of the same mind. You need to be of one mind. And he says in chapter 3 and verse number 1, what? To write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. So throughout Paul's letter, one of the things that he kept repeating was, be of one mind. I know this thought gets uh, repetition is key to learning. I know we've repeated this probably dozens of times, maybe even the last year, how important it is for us to be united for how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in Psalm 133, verse number one. God wants us to be united. How does that happen? We become of one mind. Church family, you, listen to me tonight. You don't become of one mind because of one pastor. You become of one mind because of one book. Are you all with me tonight? We do not become of one mind because we are of one church. We become of one mind because of one Bible. So what we have to understand is this. As long as the preaching comes from the Word of God, and as long as you're having a walk in the Word of God, we can think the same. Are you all, would you agree with that? I agree with that. I mean, the Bible is very clear that our mindset must be the Word of God. That's what makes us of one mind. So Paul says, listen, I know I'm sounding senile. I know I'm sounding like I'm repeating myself, but I'm repeating myself on purpose because it's, for, it's safe for you. I want to tell you something. We as brothers and sisters in Christ are supposed to love the brethren. We as brothers and sisters in Christ are supposed to get along. We're supposed to pray for one another. We're supposed to love one another. We're supposed to do for one another. Remember what he said in Hebrews 10, 24? As ye have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the what? Household of faith. So as brothers and sisters in Christ, we should be concerned for one another. We should be thinking of one another. We should be of one mind. Now, Church, I want to tell you something. Uh, we might have different opinions uh, concerning sports. 
uh, possibly um, politics, uh, possibly um, occupation. But I want to tell you something, there's one thing we should all be in agreement on, and that's the spiritual concept of our Christian life, and it, it all revolves around Jesus Christ, Him crucified, our Lord and Savior. Amen? And so that, what, that's what makes us one body in Christ. That's what makes us related as brothers and sisters in Christ is Jesus Christ. And of course, the book is, is Jesus Christ that bonds us for that. So Paul says, I want to tell you, I know it sounds very repetitive, but I cannot tell you enough and I cannot stress enough how important it is for you to be of one mind. I'd like for you to turn to some of these with me tonight. Sometimes I don't do this, but turn over to John 17 with me real quick. I'm coming back to Philippians, so hold your place there. John 17. John 17 is known as the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is not our Father which art in heaven. That's not the Lord's Prayer. That's our prayer, okay? Jesus' prayer is John chapter 17. John 17, the first verse says, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said. So verse chapter 17, everything's in red letter edition. If you have a red letter edition Bible, Jesus is praying now. Jump down in your Bible there to verse number 20. Verse 20, John 17, 20, Jesus continues his prayer. Neither pray I for these alone. The these alone was the disciples. Neither pray I for these disciples, these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, through the disciples' word. Now, church family, who are the people that shall believe? Would that include you and I? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? Say amen. amen. Then Jesus Christ prayed for you. All right, now, look at the very next verse, very first phrase. What is the first thing Jesus prayed for you for? All right, what's the first phrase? Let's say it together. Verse 21, together that they all may be... Now, isn't it interesting? Jesus did not pray for your financial welfare. Jesus did not pray for your marriage. Jesus prayed for one thing, and that's that we that would be saved, who are brothers and sisters in Christ, would be one. All right? Now, I want to tell you, I know sometimes offenses will come. I know we can get a little aggravated. If you've got children at home, you know, you can't... Your, I'm, I'm sorry, I shouldn't speak for your children, okay? My children fight every once in a while, all right? They're related. I think they love each other. Sometimes they don't act like they love each other, but I think they love each other, all right? But by the way, I say that about you too, okay? I think you love each other. Sometimes you don't act like you love each other, all right? Why? Because as brothers and sisters in Christ, sometimes we get at odds with one another. But I'm going to tell you something. The quickest thing you can do is just remember how much God forgave you and you forgive your brother and sister in Christ, okay? Because he forgave you a whole lot more than you have to forgive them, all right? So again, P Paul says, I want you to be of one mind. The church family, uh, two plus two equals four. Let me just ask a very elementary question. <clears throat> Who's the one that does not want us to be one in Christ? It's the same person who can't steal your soul, the same person who can't take you to hell, but the only thing he can do is ruin your influence for him while you're still living. The only person who does not want you to be together is who? Satan himself. Right. Satan himself. Jesus, when he was speaking of this, said this in Mark 3.25, and if a house divided against itself, that house cannot, what's the word? A church, I don't care if it's a family house or if it's a church house. When there's division going on inside the home, it's not going to stand. It's not going to stand. I want to tell you something. There's a bunch of churches that used to be that are not, in, that are not even meeting tonight. And I want to tell you what happened. They got division. You go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, this, the three marks of carnality. And one of them is, is en I'm sorry, all three, envy, strife, and division. Division, that breaking up, that not being of one mind. We ought to be together. We're on the same team, by the way. You're going to spend eternity in the same place, amen? All right, that's the first thing. You're back into Philippians. Let's look at the next thing tonight. Philippians chapter number 3, back to verse, chapter number 3, verse number 1. Finally, my brethren... Chapter 3, Philippians 3, verse number 1. Finally, my brethren, what's the phrase? All right, now most of you know where the next one is on Rejoice in the Lord. It's chapter 4, verse number 4. 
4.4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Interestingly, most people know the book of Philippians as the book on joy, because the word joy and rejoice is mentioned several times. I only pointed out two of them. Another one is in chapter 1, verse number 26, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. So, church family, Paul, first of all, says, I want to repeat, I'm going to repeat some things, but I just want you to know, I'm not repeating them because it's a bother to me. I'm repeating them because it's safe for you. All right? And one of the things he says is, I want you, I'm going to repeat, is be of one mind. The second thing, again, there's probably not an order to these tonight, but the next thing that Paul says is rejoice in the Lord. All right, church family, talk to me now. Where is Paul writing this letter to the Philippians? Where is he at right now? He's in prison. He's under persecution. And Paul says, I'm not rejoicing in prison. I'm not rejoicing in Epaphroditus that you sent to meet my want and need. I'm not rejoicing in your missions gift. You know what he said I'm rejoicing in? I'm rejoicing in the Lord. Amen. Hey, can I tell you, as a Christian, your joy, listen to me tonight, your joy is not dependent upon your job. Your joy is not dependent upon who's president. Your joy is not dependent upon your recreation or your retirement plan. I want to tell you what your joy is in. It's in God. Amen. How do you know that? But the fruit of the Spirit is love. What's the second one? So where does joy come from? Joy comes from God. It does not come from happenings or happenstances. We use the word happy, which comes from happenings. And my joy is not in what happens in my life. My joy is in Christ. I know I'm on my way to heaven. I know that I have access to the Father and I can talk to him at any time. I know that he is, uh, he said he promised me that he would never leave me nor forsake me. I want to tell you something. The joy of the Lord is what your strength is in. So Paul says, hey, listen, I'm, I know I'm repeating myself. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. He makes that statement. He talks about the joy that he has, talks about the rejoicing that he has. And he says, I'm not repeating myself for just to, be, just to say the words. I'm telling you that you need to make sure that your joy is in Christ. Our joy comes from the book. From the book. In John chapter 15, he says, these things have I spoken unto you. Jesus is the word. Jesus said, these things have I spoken to you that my joy might be remain in you and that your joy might be full. I want to tell you something. If you're having a hard day, I've got a solution for you. Find yourself alone, open up the book, and just start reading. Amen. There's something about the word of God because it's quick and powerful. It's that joy. It can give you joy. Amen. You know, people want to... Uh, if you were in the lost, if you were a part of the lost world, a person's having a hard day, I'm going to go out and drink my, drink my sorrow away. Okay? I got a better idea. Why don't you read the Bible, read your sorrow away? Amen. There's joy in God's word. There's joy in Christ. And so Paul says, I just want to tell you, you need to rejoice in the Lord. And here Paul is in prison and he's telling them to be happy. Okay? He says, at least you're not in bonds. All right? So again, the second thing he says is, and he repeats himself, he says, let me repeat myself in this area. Make sure that you rejoice in the Lord. All right, look at the next one, chapter number three. Follow me back there, chapter number three, the next one. Verse number two and three says this. Verse number two, he says, beware of dogs. All right, I don't know why it doesn't say beware of cats, but anyway. Um, that's what it should say. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. Now, church, I mean, all three of those are talking about the same person. All right, he was not talking about a, a literal dog. You remember what the Jews did? Uh, Remember the illustration Jesus gave of the Syrophoenician woman? The Syrophoenician woman came. She wanted uh, Jesus to perform the miracle for her. And uh, Jesus used the parallel that you would not throw the bread to the dogs. And then she said, but the dogs eat the crumbs. Oh, you remember the story? Okay. 
the Jews often referred to as Gentiles as dogs. Apostle Paul, he switches this thing back around. He says the Gentile is not the dog. He says the concision or circumcision. He says the Jews, uh, if I'm trying to define this for you, but the Jews were the, oh, you would call them Jews that were linking um, salvation by faith in Christ with obeying the Mosaic law. There were still people going along saying, hey, listen, it's by works. Yeah, it's Jesus, but you have to have works. And Paul says, I want to tell you something. You better beware of those. Those are dogs. Those are evil workers. Those are the concision. Those, in other words, concision. Those are Jews that are teaching you have to obey the Mosaic law in order to be saved. That's what we really call legalism, by the way. I don't have to obey the law to get saved. Salvation is through, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. All right? All right. So Paul's saying here, listen, third of all, I'm going to repeat myself in this area. Let me show you the repetition on this real quickly here. Look at chapter 3, verse 18 and 19. Verse 18 says, For many walk of whom I have told you often. Now think about that. Of whom I have told you often. Well, Paul, if you've already told us before, why are you telling us again? Because this is important. Because you need to get a hold of this. Because you need to be aware of what's going on. And he says, beware of evil workers. Look what he says here in verse number 18. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Paul, Paul says, listen, you better be careful with these evil workers, these people that are trying to add things to the word of God, because I want to just tell you something. Uh, they're no good, and they're not telling you the truth. Now, just, I mean, no one's going to come up to you tonight, and they're not going to tell you, uh, they're, they're not going to tell you, uh, in order to be saved, you know, it's faith in Jesus Christ and something else. If somebody did that, you'd say, you know, take off. I don't believe that at all. But can I tell you something? There are, in my opinion, whether it's a carnal Christian or a lost person, it doesn't matter. There are people that will try to tell you that only certain parts of the Word of God are true and other parts of the Word of God is not true. I just want you to understand this, and I want to say it loud and clear because God said it. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Not some, not part. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So do you understand that we have an, an all Bible? Are, would you agree? All right. Are you all warm out here tonight? You look warm tonight. I can see it on your faces tonight. All right. Actually, it's cooler down here than it is up there. It really is. All right. Now, we can open the doors if you want. Are you okay? You sure you're okay? I hate to do that because I've been cold all day long, and I'm finally warm, and I don't want to get cold again. All right. When I get chilled, it's just bad for me. So anyway, all right. So I'm going to let it stay warm, but don't sleep. All right. I know, it's not, I know you're tired. I know you're comfortable after lurking all day long. You're in a nice, cozy place and comfortable pew and sweet people all around you. Okay? <clears throat> but church family, here's the, here's the problem with this that Paul has to repeat himself. And by the way, to me, the proverb says this, My son, walk not down the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path. For their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. You don't put a net down and the bird just come and hop in the net. Even a bird knows you run from it. But you know what Christians do? They start hanging around people who start questioning the word of God and they just sit there. Oh, I don't know about that. Well, maybe. Hey, I want to tell you something. I have a solid conviction, assurance, whatever you want to call it, belief that the Bible is true. Amen. And what we've got to go back to what he said in the Bible. Let God be true and every man. A liar. Every man. 
That means lost or saved. So if some Christian comes along and tries to tell you, well, that verse really doesn't mean that, or that verse, you know, was written in the Old Testament, it wasn't written in the New Testament, I want to tell you something. All, all that is, is this. Hath God said. Right. Who's the first person who said that? Devil. devil himself. The devil came to Eve and said, Hath God said? And that was that's the beginning of doubting the Word of God. And I want to tell you something. You don't need to doubt the Word of God. God's Word is true. Young person tonight, I want to tell you something. You've been trained by your parents. You've been taught from the preacher, from the pulpit. But I want to tell you there's something greater than man's words, and it's God's word. Amen. And all you've got to do is go back to what does the Bible say, and I want to tell you something. That Bible is written on a fifth grade level. You can understand the word of God. You don't have to be a theologian, and you don't have to understand the Greek. Just take the word of God for what it says. He tells them, he says, I'm repeating myself, and I know I'm repeating myself. My, my kids, you know, it's funny because I'm, I am, and, and for the age of my children, I'm older. I know that, okay? I'm 51 and they're, you know, I've still got a nine-year-old. She's nine years old? She's got a nine-year-old at home. So when I repeat myself at home, I, I've had this happen more than once, okay? You've said that already. And then I look at them and I say, I know I've said that already. I'm saying it again. You know, it's, it's, it's almost as if parents are not allowed to repeat themselves in their home. They're not allowed to do that, all right? Because kids, you know, they got it down pat. They know exactly what's good for them. Apostle Paul's writing this letter to the church of, church of Philippi, and he says, no, you don't have it down pat. And that's why I'm repeating myself, all right? And I'm Paul the aged, and I'm in, I'm in prison, and I'm going to probably die here. But I just want you to understand, there's some things that are worth repeating, and that's because you need to catch them. And the first thing you need to catch is you need to be of one mind, Church at Philippi. You need to be on the same page. He said, number two, Church at Philippi, you need to rejoice in the Lord. He says, number three, Church at Philippi, you said, he, says, uh, he, says, he says, beware of evil workers. In other words, those who are trying to get you to go astray, stay away from them. Young person, I want to tell you, you'd be the wiser young person if you would stop allowing somebody to put doubt upon your parents' authority. Your mom and dad make you do that? Thank God I've got a mom and dad that loves me. Amen. That cares about you. You know, listen to me. Young people, look at me now. Look at, listen to me. Everyone, are you a young people listener? If you're listening, say, say amen. amen. All right, all two of you. Listen to me. Why don't you act older than what you are by trusting your parents? Amen. That's a sign of maturity when you stop questioning authority and you start obeying authority. That's maturity. Maturity is not question. I know the society that we have question authority. No, that's a sign of immaturity. Children, obey your parents. It didn't say children, you know, make your mom and dad write a five-page report on why they're making you make your bed. I'll write you a five-page report. First point on my page, spanking number one. Second line, spanking number two. All right, go make your bed. All right, so first, second of all, or third of all, I should say, he said, beware of evil workers. Church, we've got time. Let's go ahead and do a couple more if you don't mind. All right, look at chapter one, verse number 27. Go back to chapter one, verse number 27. Here's what he says first. He says, only let your conversation, the word conversation means behavior. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Look at chapter 2, verse number 15. Chapter 2, verse 15. That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. The church, I mean, I, I'm just going to stop right here before I read the other verses, but 
How many of you would agree that we are living in a perverse and crooked nation? Now, I'm glad I'm American, and I don't want to be anywhere else, all righty? But I want to tell you something. In the day that we're living in, 1 Timothy chapter 3, in the last days, perilous times shall come. We are living in those days. These are dark days. These are bad days. But you know what he says you're supposed to do during those bad days? He says in verse number 15, the last part of the verse, that ye shine as lights in the world. How do you do that? Verse 16, holding forth the word of life. What's the word of life? The Bible, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Look at, uh, look at uh, chapter 3, verse number 20. Chapter 3, verse number 20. For your conversation, that's your behavior, for your conversation is in heaven. Now, you're supposed to act like a child of heaven, not a child of hell. For your conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, can I tell you, he's repeating himself in this area of behavior. So here's what Paul's saying. Behave like a child of God. He says you should be harmless. You should be blameless. You're living in a crooked and perverse nation, but you should shine as a light. And he repeats himself throughout his one, this one letter. He's three different times. He reminds them of their conversation and behavior that's supposed to act like a Christian. Hey, what, what do you hear from the pulpit all the time? Listen, if you're a Christian, you ought to act like a Christian. If you're a Christian, you ought to talk like a Christian. If you're a Christian, you ought to dress like a Christian. Now, I want to tell you something. We don't like to hear that again and again and again. But can I tell you something? It's, it's not grievous for me. It's for you. It's safe. You know what? You're a child of God. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. So, in other words, as a Christian, we're supposed to be what the Lord wants to be out in this crooked and perverse and dark world that we're supposed to shine as a light. A person ought to see you and say, hey, that guy's a Christian. That guy's a Christian. You know, I was sitting at McDonald's a couple days ago, and it was a cold day. We didn't have school. It must have been Monday or Tuesday. I can't remember which day it was. Uh, it must have been Tuesday. So it was yesterday. <clears throat> so yesterday I'm sitting at McDonald's early in the morning, and uh, the, um, oh, what do you call the person? Manager. Manager comes over to my table. She says, uh, yeah, there's these guys over here that they had an accident, and they're stuck, and they can't go anywhere. Uh, they want to get to the airport. She's, just she's not asking me anything. She's just telling me the, the story and everything. And I said, well, if you think they're legit, I'll take them to the airport. She said, would you do that? I said, well, it depends if they're legit. And I said, I don't want to get in a car and I don't know these people. So I said, uh, so I'll, I said well, I'll, I'll meet them. So I'll go over and meet the two guys. And sure enough, two guys, they were driving down the road at 4.30 in the morning, hit the patch of ice, slammed into the wall. It's like, I don't know, I think that morning was 15 below zero. Was that Tuesday or Monday? Was it Tuesday, babe? Tuesday morning. It was really cold. And they're sitting there with like six or eight pieces of luggage. And uh, <clears throat> the two guys were there. Now, you know if you get in my car and you're asking for a ride, I can say whatever I want because I'm the one driving. It's just, it's just the way it goes, all right? If you want a ride to the airport, you get to listen to me all the way to the airport. So, so anyway, the two guys get into my car, and uh, Ramont was the first guy's name in the front, and the guy in the back seat, I think, was Walter. And we're driving along, and uh, I, I, the, the two of those guys said, you know, you know, it's really something that you would, he said, we've already tried calling Uber and Uber said they would not come out. We've already tried to get an airport shuttle and they said you had a 24 hour in advance notice. He says, it's really odd for you to do this to take us to the airport. And I said, he looked at me and says, so what do you do? <laughs> I do absolutely nothing. No. 
I said, I'm a Baptist preacher in Lawrence, Kansas. And I said, since you brought that up. <laughs> I said, where do you go to church? And so from there, I was able to witness to him. Ramont was saved. He trusted Christ as a savior, sitting in the front seat. He was 38 years old. The guy in the back seat, his name was Walt. He was 43. He had just come back from Las Vegas, got married. Now, I don't understand this. He got married. He was driving back without his wife. Forgive me. I don't understand that. But anyway, so uh, Walt's in the back seat. And I said, Walt, do you know for sure if you died, go to heaven? He said, I don't know that. And, uh, and of course, as, as the devil plays this part, got through halfway to plan salvation, the phone rang. He's trying to get his airplane ticket uh, and, uh, to the rest of the way to the airport. But those guys knew there was something different. Church, I want to tell you something. You're a Christian. People ought to know there's something different. They just know. Amen. You're not cussing. You're not dressed like they are. Uh, your, your actions show forth Christ. Can, can I tell you something? You know what Paul was trying to tell the Philippian church? You're supposed to be different. Your, your, your behavior's different. You're a child of God in this dark world. And so you hear from the pulpit this all the time. Act like a Christian, live like a Christian, walk like a Christian, talk like a Christian, be a Christian. Amen. Pastor, we've heard that a million times. Hey, for me, it's not grievous. For you, it's safe. We need to hear on a regular basis how we're supposed to be like Christ so that it prompts us to be like Christ. That's what Paul was doing here. So Paul tells him, hey, listen, I'm going to repeat myself. I'm going to repeat myself in several areas. I'm going to repeat myself that you need to be of one mind. I'm going to repeat myself to rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to repeat myself to beware of the evil workers. I'm going to repeat myself because of, of, of making sure that you behave yourself like a child of God. I'm just going to tell you these other two. I'm not going to preach them tonight. But Paul repeats himself in, in chapter 1 three times, twice in chapter 1, and once in chapter 3, how they were, should, should suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ. I wish I could teach on that tonight. And then the last thing is very interesting to me. But in chapter 3, verse number 17, and in chapter number 4, and verse number 9, Paul said, follow me. Now, I think that's the craziest thing in the world, that out of everything he's going to repeat, that he would say, you do as I do. Chapter 4, verse number 9, you do what I do. And then chapter number 3, he says, follow me. He, he repeats that. But you're saying, well, what Paul was trying to say is follow me as I follow Christ. Paul was that human instrument, prodder, tool, whatever you want to call him, to be able to encourage Christians to be what they're supposed to be for Christ. And by the way, church, I mean, you ought to do that to others. You, you ought to be that tool at home that prods the children to read their Bible and to pray and that prods your family to go the right direction. You ought to be. You say, well, my husband doesn't do it. Then you do it, wife. You know, we're going to find out someday that the real reason our kids turned out for Christ was not the one that's humanly responsible for the home, which is the husband, but it was that help meet that God gave to that husband is why those children turned out. You know, uh, it's I know this is early in age for me to think this way, but I am so much, I don't know if I should say it. I hesitate almost saying it. I am so much concerned about my latter days of preaching. And the Lord can take me out of here tomorrow, so I understand that too. But um, I don't want this church to die. Amen. And I'm serious now here. I, I mean, it's, I, this is not unusual talk for me. I, mean, just, I just think this way. There are a lot of preachers that when they get to be in their 60s, they don't stop pastoring. And to be honest with you, the church goes downhill and it, I hate to say it this way, to a degree, it's because they have nothing else they can do. 
So in order to draw a paycheck, and this is not a job to me and at this juncture of my life, and I don't want it to be a job to me when I'm in my 60s. And so I'm really concerned about when the Lord's timing of when I'm supposed to move the, the next step of life for me, whatever that might be. And my only reason is, is I don't want to stand up here and preach the same message that I preached three weeks in a row. <laughs> and neither do you. And there's going to be a time in my life that the Lord is going to switch uh, whatever he's going to have me do. At least I, I anticipate that. Unless he lets me die in the pulpit or unless you get rid of me. Something else tragic happens. <laughs> tragic. Uh, but uh, I, I, there's going to be a time that I, I don't want to stand up here and just repeat. But this is not what Paul was doing. Paul was repeating on purpose. Now, if he was, and he was. But if he's repeating on purpose, then that means these six things that he was telling them must be pretty important for him to put them in the same letter. Church, I could go to other books of the Bible where he wrote to the book of Corinthians, where he wrote in the book of Galatians, where these same things are repeated, but these are not other books of the Bible. This is in the same letter that he wrote to the same church that he's repeating himself in this particular letter. It must be pretty important. How many times when your children are growing up did you have to tell them, make your bed? How many times did you have to tell them, eat all the food on your plate? How many times did you have to tell your boys, tuck your shirt in? How many times have you told your, told your kids, don't talk with food in your mouth? Now, can I tell you something? Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if all you had to do is one time, make your bed, bam! Every day of their life, they jump out of bed, they make the bed, they tuck that thing in so you can throw a dime up and it bounces on the bed. You know, for some reason, my kids didn't catch it the first time. I don't think they caught it after the thousandth time. And that's why you come to church. Because you're going to hear it again, and you're going to hear it again, and you're going to hear it again. Read your Bible. Go to church. Pray. Give. Tell people about Jesus Christ. You're going to hear it again. Discipline your children. You're going to hear it again. Give your tithes and offerings. You're going to hear it again. Dress like a Christian. You're going to hear it again. Can I tell you something? That's not, that's not grievous for the preacher because that's what the Lord called the preacher to do. It's safe for you to hear it again and again and again. Amen. You know why our country is, in the, in the, is partly in the shape that it is right now? It's because they have been brainwashed through secular education and through media. That's right. Amen. I don't know if you know it or not. I, I hope you do. You know, when, when your kids get a steady diet of all these Hollywood movies that are going on, they're being brainwashed. They don't even know they're being brainwashed. This thing of being acceptable to the homosexual lifestyle, how did that happen? From all the filth of movies that are being shown to what's being educated in the public school where, you know, Betty has two daddies. You know, when all of these things are going on, they are being brainwashed in their mind of what's right and wrong. And then we bring them to church and we feel like we're bad because we tell our kids, sit up straight. You're not coloring while the preacher's preaching. Pay attention. Stop messing around. Like, like we're some, this, this cruel person. But yet they're being brainwashed all in, by repetition. They're being brainwashed with worldly philosophy. I'm going to tell you something. It's important for us to be brainwashed by repetition of the word of God. And that's what will help us as a Christian. So can I say like Paul said? 
please let me repeat myself. Because it's those things that the Lord wants us to grab a hold of and apply in our life. Would you bow ahead and close your eyes tonight for the invitation?